Welcome to the 100th episode of The Five Things, this week in social. If this were a TV show, we would start syndicating and making that big money. But instead, we are a humble podcast, and we have been bringing you five things for over the past two years. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We look forward to having you join us for the next 100 episodes. As you know, or will quickly learn, each week we, your friends from Gray, dive into five headlines from social media and give you the executive summary you need to prepare for the week. Let me introduce the crew. First is Amanda Davis. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Joey. It's good to be here for 100 episodes together. Yes. Amanda is our resident emerging tech expert. She's Gray's de facto voice on all things gaming, metaverse, Web3, innovation, and more. And when we are all forced to enter the matrix, she's the one you want by your side battling the Agent Smiths. Okay, next up is Tommy Boyce. He's here with us this week. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Joey. When this show started, I was in college. That is depressing. Tommy is our self-proclaimed Gen Z ambassador. He's got his finger on the pulse of everything from the culture on Twitter to the music trends on TikTok. And any day now, he could tell us why Remy Wolf is important and why we should all know her work. I'm your host, Joey Scarillo. I produce this podcast alongside Danielle Hunt. I spend a lot of my time on the small sliver of the Venn diagram that intersects podcast Twitter with marketing Twitter. And I come to you humbly because admittedly, I am not the foremost expert on every platform. But like you, I learn something new every week for my colleagues here. It is an honor to chat with Amanda and Tommy every week and learn from them. Okay, that's it for the intros. Here's what we got going on this week. Like I said, it's our 100th episode, and we decided to do something a little special this week. We're going to take a deeper look at five things that have come up over the last 100 episodes time and time again, and we're going to talk about how they've changed along the way. So here they are. First up, Tommy's going to talk about influencers and creators. Then Amanda's going to dive into gaming. Then I will talk to us about audio, specifically social audio and podcast tech. And then Tommy will get into commerce and how that's changed across social platforms. And finally, Amanda will talk about events and where that's going in the social sphere. All right, Tommy, you're up first. Let's chat about influencers and creators. Yeah, let's do it. So back in the fall of 2019, when this show started, and famously I was in school, in the influencer space, Instagram was basically king. TikTok was at this point an emerging platform and co-creation wasn't in people's vocab. Influencers were primarily Instagram-based, aside from YouTube, which was actually struggling with the adpocalypse throwback to that lovely moment, as several notable advertisers boycotted the platform or withdrew completely. And in this time, brands held more power than influencers because there were just so many influencers concentrated mostly on Instagram that usually brands would pick a top percentage of for one-off campaigns, PR headlines, and notices like that. And I think the main story of the past two years and where we are now is co-creation you know, actively working with influencers and creating the content that centers your brand, but also fits the vibe and aesthetic of the creator, actually working with creators in the conception, building and execution of an idea. Also putting more intention behind the creators you choose, not just, you know, getting Kylie Jenner to post about your product and paying her a million dollars for a story, but actually finding micro-influencers and making relationships with them. Also the importance of highlighting marginalized voices, not just during Pride, Black History Month, you know, Hispanic History Month, actually working with these people all year round. 
And I think what hasn't really worked over the past two years in this space has been, like I said earlier, these one-off partnerships where you get a high profile name, they feature your products and then it's over. And at the same note, like prioritizing macro and mega influencers with a lot more reach over micro and mid-tier influencers that actually have a higher engagement and connection to their fans and a better relationship with your brand and product image and aesthetic. And I think also, as we've seen recently, using TikTok talent just for the sake of going viral, I think we have to learn that. And we've learned that just because something's on TikTok doesn't mean that one, you're going to go viral or two, the creative is good. And I think it really just shows how the choice in picking people is the most important part in actually making these relationships. We've seen these trends over and over. We talk about Web3 and how that's giving users more power and more say in how they use social platforms. And so platforms are giving users more opportunities to curate their own experience and take ownership. And therefore, you know, influencers have more power as well and are able to better curate their content and how they interact with fans. I think that Another major thing that we need to keep working with is authenticity and leaning into picking people who feel like real people. TikTok has shown that people love seeing the behind the scenes of the conception and creation of an idea. They love seeing the mess of something. And I think that we've seen over the past two years also, people maybe develop parasocial relationships with influencers. And that's not a great thing, but it is a thing we have to take note of. And there's reasons why we people like knowing someone and having that relationship with them. And we should take note of the fact that people are hungry for content and for feeling like they connect with both a brand and a product. So I think that we're going to see even more like constant streaming too. You think of the popularity of things like Mukbang and Twitch streamers streaming all day. You think of, you know, Ludwig's streamathon. I think even YouTube gaming is a bit of a misnomer in the fact that it's not just gaming, it's constant like streaming your life and making that connection with fans. So I think in the future, we'll see streamers and influencers be always on and always trying to reach out to fans and work with brands and products, which gives us all just so much more space to plan. That's awesome analysis, Tommy. Amanda, I'm curious from you, what influencer or creator example from the last, I mean, we could say two years, but what has really stuck out to you or what, what's an example of something you've seen that you felt really worked well? So I think I will half answer your question, but I, I think what's worked really well into everything that Tommy is describing is this idea of a group of friends or a culture that feels like a real life person and a real life identity. So I mean, I'm sure at this point, we've all seen and heard of these different hype houses that happened over the 2021 to 2022 era. But the reason that those were so successful at the time that they were is because you got different peaks into different people's lives as different perspectives. So what Tommy is saying is like, you know, the reason that that was valuable and important and got so many followers and got so much attention is because you got to experience a person or in influencer or a creator in multiple different ways versus how they were necessarily projecting themselves in one platform. So I think thinking of that perspective, the way that, you know, you might know your friends or your family or your coworkers in a multidimensional way is a little bit of the future of how people will start to see these influencers and seeing them in different settings, not just in curated content, but in BTS content and their friends content. So I think that that really opened up how people interact with content and what that that content might look like. Yeah. All right. Well, let's Switch gears now over to gaming. A lot has happened in that space, specifically in marketing. And I think this is really fascinating. And you know more about this than anybody else I know. So Amanda, tell us about what's going on in gaming. All right. Yeah, I 
can't imagine an industry that has changed more in 100 episodes time than gaming. Around the time that we started the podcast, gaming had started to penetrate culture, but it was still really considered like a niche subculture that had a very stereotypical demographic. You thought of your younger teenage males sitting in their basement playing a game by themselves. And although this wasn't 100% true, it was a lot of the, the dominating culture that was associated with gaming. We were a little bit into the idea of social gaming. We had Fortnite, we had Battle Royale and Call of Duty, but it really was still focused on this idea of going in and having kind of an escapist, action-oriented, battle-focused, first-person shooter kind of experience. And that was really the focus of gaming culture and what people understood and joined that community to do. And I think what worked over the past two years is because of the pandemic, honestly, a lot of people were stuck at home. They went through their phases of their hobbies and how they wanted to spend time. And a lot of them eventually turned to gaming more and more. And I think when we think about how the demographic has changed, the diversity between male and females, right now it's like around 50-50. You have just as many women playing games as you have men. The age demographic is now fully across the board, more than half the players are between 18 and 54 years old. You have more different age ranges jumping in and playing games. 68% are employed. It's a really common thing for families, for adults, for people of all ages and backgrounds to really spend their time playing games. And I think that that has added to the kind of experience that you can have there. So with that, you started to see social games explode. Animal Crossing for Switch came out at the beginning of the pandemic. And that really taught people that might not have considered gaming that this is a place that you can go and connect with your friends, connect with other people, have a social experience that doesn't necessarily need to be limited to your personal game experience or your personal console that you have. With that, Fortnite kind of took over. We saw the growth of games like Apex Legends and League of Legends, which really pushed this momentum around esports and competing and understanding, you know, what that looks like from a professional sense and kind of legitimized the sport. And at the same time, too, you still had all the, so many people playing that you could have viral games. You had indie games that were getting really popular. I'm sure we all remember when Among Us was huge. Again, it had this social element. It had this viral element. It had something that people felt like they were tapping into a culture to, to play and to join. So when you think about what has been kind of a positive change over the last two years, it's like these new behaviors. People use games for so many different experiences. It's relaxing. It's exciting. It's a thrill ride. It's fun. It's artful. It's like entertaining. It's a storytelling experience. There's so many different ways that you can interact with gaming that I'll be honest, like those experiences were always in gaming. It just wasn't as accessible as it, it is now and as it has grown over the pandemic. I think when we think about, you know, what worked over the past two years, really understanding that people can have their own individual experiences that provide some kind of value to them um, that they might not get in what might say traditional real life world. Thinking about what didn't work, or I'd say the continued challenges, very diplomatic way to put it. The community has definitely grown. Everything that we're talking about now, I think two out of three people in the U.S. are gamers or play a game of some kind. That's most people. But it's still really not as inclusive as it could be. A lot of strides being taken, a lot of communities formed and kind of connection being made. But there's still a lot of work to be done for being an inclusive, welcoming and open space. I think the biggest challenge and the biggest goal for gaming going forward is understanding diversity. Not only how do we show characters in games that have important roles or are depicted the right way, but how do we create games with diverse developers, with groups of people and companies and cultures that are really 
appreciating these different perspectives and different kinds of people that they can invite into the way that they make games. It's, it's a huge conversation that, you know, we saw a little bit of in 2021, but really understanding what is that culture? How does the gaming industry impact the game itself? And what are all the strides that we need to make there? And when we think about where it's going moving forward, we're going to start to see this convergence of social platforms and gaming platforms and what we're calling now metaverse platforms. And candidly, these aren't all separate places. Eventually, these will all be connection points and places that people socialize and have a gamified experience. We're going to see gaming titles add more socializing features similar to what we see in games like Roblox and Fortnite. And we're also going to see metaverse platforms or socializing platforms have more of a gamified experience. You know, you think of metaverse platform that you go and interact with someone and you maybe get points the more conversations you have or the more experiences you go to. It creates the same kind of excitement and the same urgency to go socialize in that space versus something that might be a traditional social or digital space. And you think about as a brand, what can you do to to help foster that connection, to help grow those communities, to help create a place for these people to interact the way that you would on Twitter or Instagram. And I think that's almost an overarching brief that every brand should have is how do we help create and build these communities in, in ways that feel right for the brand. Another opportunity as we look forward for brands is really understanding the importance of gaming as cultural content and entertainment. So again, a lot of people got invested in gaming because they were at home and maybe they had more time on their hands because they weren't commuting or going to an office or going to school. And as people start to return to work and return to, you know, a routine that maybe doesn't allow them as much time at home, they're going to turn to gaming as an entertainment source the same way that they would watch an NFL game. They might not be watching an esports tournament. I mean, even last year, if you think about how many people watched the Super Bowl, 96 million, and how many people watched the League of Legends World Championship, 73 million, these numbers are increasingly closer and closer. So when we think about athletes, when we think about influence, and when we think about content, that's more and more going to start to lean towards what we would consider gaming content and culture than we've ever seen before. So as a brand, these partnerships, these sponsorships, how you're co-creating content with people, gaming is increasingly going to be more important to how you reach your audience. Doesn't matter what age or kind of passion point that you might think that you should be focused in. You mentioned Among Us, and I have to give you credit for being the person who turned me on to that game. I was obsessed with it for about four months. I just was playing nonstop. I'm wondering, Tommy, have there been any brands that resonated for you in the gaming space or any brand experiences that have really resonated or stuck out to you in gaming? I think a big thing, and this is to Amanda's later point, is concerts in things like Fortnite and Roblox. I mean, I never thought I would see the headline, Ariana Grande to do Fortnite concert in my entire life. And if you sent me back to like 2018 and I saw that, I don't think I was having a stroke. I wouldn't know what you're talking about. But I think this shows how the future is moving past games as just, you know, gaming experiences. And as you said, Amanda fully operative metaverse platforms that allow for different forms of connection and integration on a brand level and just the level with, with which people play. I mean, think of Roblox, which is like a platform on which to build other games and other environments. And I think to me, that's the future. And that's the, my main takeaway the last two years. It's seeing how games went from like, I mean, also like the Animal Crossing, uh, Gillette, Venus, the campaign that our own Amanda Davis was a part of, like seeing how brands take environments and use them in ways that I find surprising. And to me, the biggest one, besides obviously the Animal Crossing, some of Animal Crossing, was seeing how brands embrace and celebrities, musicians embrace new technologies and platforms. I think that's what we'll keep seeing in the future. Yeah, the Animal Crossing execution was amazing. 
Amanda, I know, you know, you've got your pats on the back, but I'm just going to give you a few more because that execution was incredible. And the, te- the team on Venus should be very, very happy with that. Okay, let's jump over into audio now. This is thing three. This is all me. This is my this is my sweet spot here. So when we first started the show back in 2019, podcasts were already established for editorial purposes, right? We'd seen the big boom from Serial. I think when we think about podcasts, we think about them in this before and after Serial time. But around 2019, the industry was just starting to really unlock its monetary and advertising potential. Yet brands were only just starting to really scratch the surface of what they could do on a podcast. McDonald's actually won a Webby for its investigative, and I use that in quotes, uh, podcast documentary called The Sauce. It was a few episodes that went into one of their sauces that had mysteriously disappeared. And so... You have to listen to that to find out more. But what I will say is that over the past two years, there have been a few big innovations in the audio space. And I kind of put them into two big buckets, especially with things that we've talked about. One is the advent of social audio. And then two is this boom of dynamic ad insertion in podcasting. So I'll start with the social audio first. You can't talk about social audio without talking about Clubhouse, right? So Clubhouse was launched in April of 2020 and has currently 6 million registered users, which is incredible. But when you think about they only had 600,000 users in December of 2020. So over the past year, they gained an astronomical amount of users. And they're currently ranked number five, or at least at one point were ranked number five in the app store for social networking, even number one in some categories, right? So the success of Clubhouse then started to spin out into Twitter Spaces, which is going strong, and LinkedIn Audio, which we've talked about before, and when that comes out. And then the other thing, like I said, was this introduction of dynamic ad insertion, right? So the ability for platforms to cater ads directly to a user's location, app, or device. And the real expert in this space is uh, Brian Barletta. He writes a podcast newsletter, podcast ad tech newsletter every week called Sounds Profitable. And if you don't subscribe to that newsletter or listen to his podcast, you should definitely check it out. But Anyway, so Brian said recently, dynamic ad insertion has always been at the core of podcast ad tech. And in 2021, we saw an increase in adoption of that from its hosting platforms, publishers, and advertising. But DAI for podcasting was built without any form of centralized framework, meaning that each platform's interpretation can be and often is different. Breaking down those differences is the first step towards building a universal framework. Okay, so what does that quote mean? The expectation of younger audiences, and Tommy, I think you can relate to this, is personalization versus a sort of one-size-fits-all, right? And that's exactly what dynamic ad insertion does. It's a way that will grow with time. And what Barlett is getting at in his quote is that the podcast industry needs to set up that framework so that that can happen sooner and faster and better. Okay, now over the past two years, there have definitely been some missteps in social audio. And specifically, I would say that it would come at the expense of Clubhouse, right? So while Clubhouse has continued to build numbers, tangentially from the people who I know who have been on the platform, it has seemed to fizzle. And I think part of that is because when everybody becomes an expert, 
Nobody is an expert. And I think when you give everybody a voice, it, it just becomes a sea of sameness. And so I think it was really hard for brands to find a place and thought leaders to emerge, but it just became oversaturated. And now every platform is dipping into social audio. But I think that again, Twitter spaces and LinkedIn have this opportunity to learn from the missteps of Clubhouse. And if you haven't been on a Twitter spaces yet, I definitely encourage you to do so. As I said in the intro, I love Twitter and Twitter spaces are just a wonderful spot to hear from thought leaders and people who actually are pushing culture forward. And so speaking of going forward, where's the opportunity for brands, right? So the future opportunity for brands, I think, is just to take more risks with podcasts and take more risks in audio. And the number one advice, if there was any advice, it would be to align your interest and your values with the podcast that you want to participate on, right? So just like TV, we don't want to just put our ads on any show that maybe spreads misinformation or shares extreme political views. And without getting too deep on what's going on right now with Spotify and Joe Rogan, just know that if you are advertising on Joe Rogan and your brand doesn't actually align to the values of the things that Joe Rogan talks about, Joe Rogan might not be the best place to advertise. And so when brands dip into making their own podcast, they become the platform. And so they have an opportunity to share their own message, right? And aren't necessarily tied to other shows. And the last thing I just want to say, it's still new, but LinkedIn Audio, I think, is going to be a great place for brands to participate, especially when it comes to things like talking to other people in their industry, and especially when it comes to recruiting. So any questions from you guys? I have a question and you kind of touched on this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are being so ingrained in the space is not everyone is an expert. So you can't give everyone the floor. That's not exactly what you said. I'm paraphrasing. But when you think about, you know, is there a place in which certain voices in these kind of open environments and roundtables and and discussions are happening? Is there a certain place or a role, I guess I could say, in elevating certain voices versus others? Or do you worry that leads to too much of a of a small circle of an echo chamber. Basically, like, because social media, like, you're obviously going to get served shit that, like, people have more followers, so you're going to see that. So it's, like, almost like crowdsourcing it. That's what I'm getting at. Right, right, right. So I think what's interesting about specifically Twitter spaces, right, is if if somebody who I follow is running a Twitter space, let's, let's say Kara Swisher, right? Amazing podcaster, writer, journalist. If she's speaking, I'm going to go listen to what she has to say right? Because I want to know what's the latest. When she's speaking live, I'm going to know like exactly what she knows as she knows it and gives and gives it out to the world. And so I think that live element is really what makes social audio so special is that it's not recorded. It's not on demand. It's in the moment. We're hearing from Kara Swisher in real time. And I think that is kind of unparalleled. And I think is is really what makes social audio very special. That was an awesome question. Thank you, Amanda. All right, let's jump back over to Tommy and talk about commerce. So this is a huge topic and very new uh, for us on the show. So Tommy, why don't you dive into that? Yeah, I mean, this is a very new environment. And like, if we go back to fall 2019, like two years ago, there wasn't really shopping on social yet. Instagram had just recently put out Instagram shopping 
Facebook Marketplace was just gaining steam as a platform. So it really was the wild, wild west of sorts. And a lot of consumers weren't initially thrilled at shopping being integrated to their social media platforms as a way to use the platform. But I think what's worked over the last two years is really aiding in the customer journey process, being right there at Discovery. And for platforms like Pinterest, being the point of Discovery, I mean, it's being used so frequently now as a social platform and it's making just <laughs> making a lot of money doing it. And I think also we've seen brands bring in new technologies as a way to kind of encourage users to enter the space, the kind of like sort of handholding. We saw the really boom of live stream shopping this past holiday season with pretty much every single platform getting in on the action. You saw things like partnerships that allowed for free delivery on Instagram, free delivery with um, vendors to get you, I think, your Christmas presents in time. And I think just creating a relationship with the consumer, we talked about that with influencers, but it's the same thing for shopping. It's literally reducing the points of contact necessary to reach the final end goal, which is your, you know, your consumer buying something from your brand. And I think we've seen the social space explode in this way of really helping users just one, not even just purchase things quickly with like the one click, you know, Amazon of it all that's now being used on Instagram and other platforms, but really just helping make shopping a natural part of the process. I think what hasn't worked so well is not understanding your audience or having a grasp on consumer usage trends and behaviors. People are very volatile and things change so quickly, especially with the decrease of trend life cycles. There are just a million fashion trends happening at the exact same moment thanks to, you know, TikTok and Pinterest. And that's a, you can't really keep up with it, but it's important for brands to try to have some sort of finger on the pulse. And I think also just not using platforms correctly. I think you really have to know the role of each platform in the shopping experience and what people go to it for. I think you have to know how Instagram is different then Pinterest, then Facebook Marketplace, then Twitter. And so I think the future now is that we're only going to see social commerce increase. I mean, we're seeing massive growth on platforms like Facebook, TikTok, WeChat, and sales for social commerce are projected to hit 1.2 trillion by 2025. And this is being driven by Gen Z and millennial consumers who are expected to account for over half of the spending in three years. It's only growing more and more. And I think as social media users spend more time scrolling on their favorite platforms, brands need to know that this is becoming a highly concentrated and contested space and plan accordingly. It means coming up with a strong social media strategy, execution, and trying to incorporate innovation to make for something really thumb-stopping and be a part of this boom. I think also this will lead to new technologies as we've seen, like we talked about the inclusion of shopping for your metaverse avatar or for your NFT and we're seeing brands getting into that. So I think it's being able to take advantage of new technologies and even incorporate new innovations to just stand out in this really crowded marketplace. Amanda, what is your... First off, Amanda, you may remember this. Do you remember shoppable posts when that was like the buzzword amongst uh, deliverables lists? for all the brands that we've worked on throughout the years? Yeah, and that's probably right around when um, Tommy was describing is the emergence of even thinking about purchasing something through an Instagram ad because for so long, especially as marketers, we had to have the consumer go through this funnel of going to a website, finding the product, clicking through, link in bio. We didn't even really have swipe ups and in Instagram stories. Um, I think that was that was still pretty new in the grand scheme of things. So it was just like, 
to Tommy's point, closing that funnel of being able to purchase something without leaving the app was like very novel for a long time. I think I, I asked you both this around the holiday season a couple of weeks ago, but is it a good user experience? You enjoy, you know, person to person, like you would recommend going on a Pinterest or going on uh, an Instagram to, to buy something? I think what's making it better is the personalization of it. Um, and we keep talking about that because, again, not to make thing, everything about Web3, but it is a, a tenant of Web3 is understanding a personalized experience. And I don't know about you guys, when I feel like I'm getting served or discovering a product that not everyone else is going to discover it makes me more apt to purchase it versus if it's something that you walk through the mall and you see in the window and you know everyone's going to have that dress, for instance, it's not as appealing. But feeling like I'm discovering a small brand or an emerging designer or a feature that I didn't really think about purchasing, but is a really smart product, that's when I start to get really excited and really turns that purchase funnel into something that feels like it was made for me versus um, you know something that was a little one-size-fits-all. Okay, so... Let's jump down to our fifth and final thing today, events. This is a huge topic, and I think the growth potential is almost endless uh, for what where brands can go and what creators can do in this space. So, Amanda, talk to us about events on social media. All right. So 100 episodes ago, pre-COVID, events and pop-ups were kind of having a new renaissance. Um, we were kind of right past the era of the Instagram pop-up that felt a little bit shallow. And we were starting to move toward these more, again, localized, tailored, personalized experiences that were built for these communities when we're thinking about physical live events, built for these communities versus dropping something that might feel, again, like a superficial experience in different cities across the country. We had kind of started to evolve what that looked like. And then obviously, um, the pandemic came, kind of changed everything, the entire landscape of experiential marketing. So we were stuck inside. And I think the idea of musicians and content creators really leading the way is super important. You know, they were able to experiment. They were able to try and fill the void of what do live experiences look like in this world? A lot of large experiential entities worth considering digital um, experiences and events, but hadn't quite really gotten where we needed them to be by the time the pandemic hit. So when you think about social-led live stream concerts, for instance, you saw Club Quarantine, you saw Versus, you saw all these different pop-ups and DJs and kind of really exciting shared moments happening on social platforms. Then we saw the rise of these very fully digital concerts. You had Travis Scott and Fortnite, to Tommy's point earlier, Ariana Grande, even all the way more recent to last year is this Lil Nas X and Roblox. You know, they really evolved the experience beyond looking at your screen or looking at a flat video screen and understanding that you can really partake in it. So I think when we think about what worked and what went well, it was more of that evolution of what does a digital experience look like. And in the same way, though, what kind of didn't work is it's really hard to replicate human interaction. Uh, we were all really deprived of that in general during the pandemic. And sometimes digital experiences really touched on that in a very specific way that didn't feel like it was really replacing live experiences. We definitely missed something from connection and interacting in that way. And because of that, they started to kind of feel a little of the same. You know, we didn't quite have the evolved technology to create something other than a digital live stream or a video content performance or something in a gaming app. So we felt like we weren't really engaging and interacting as much as we would in a real life setting, future facing post pandemic world. So I think that was the big missing piece. But 
with all of that and understanding what we were missing, it actually helped to build what the future looks like. And there's a lot of different places that this is happening, whether it's a metaverse or gaming or a social platform. But this idea of hybrid experiences, it's going to be what people expect, especially younger consumers, is being able to, if there's an event happening, I can choose whether I want to physically experience it or digitally experience it. And I think when I think about brands, as you start to put on these activations, these events and these experiences, understanding, you know, what is the plan for providing an experience in both worlds, if possible. If you're putting on a concert, how does that translate to a digital content even? If you are putting on a talk online, is there something physically that will help kind of bring that community together? So I think as brands start to create events and experiences in the real world again, there is still going to be that kind of demand and expectation for a digital counterpart or at least a digital extension of it. That's really important to consider. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, we can't go a podcast without talking about the metaverse. (laughs) And as these metaverse platforms and kind of communities build, they are going to be built around interests and, you know, niches and what's important to these people that are visiting them. You might have a platform that's geared towards music and concert experiences, a platform that's geared toward film and entertainment, one geared towards sports. So I think understanding as that technology grows and evolves and as these platforms become destinations, the same way that we would in different passion points and verticals for a brand, think about how you might show up in these different communities that might look a little bit different if you're in a shopping district than when you're at a concert as a brand or if you want to provide some kind of value to a sports fan or an esports fan, the way that you show up in the sponsorships and, and kind of connections that you make there might look different. So I think not seeing the metaverse as one place where your brand is always going to show up the same way, but starting to really open up the idea of what is my brand experience digitally? What am I trying to provide as a brand digitally? And how might that kind of translate to these different um, locations in the metaverse? So Tommy, if you had to look into your crystal ball, what gets you excited? What What do you hope for as digital events continue and, and, and grow? I'm really excited about the accessibility that digital events provide. I mean, so many people can't go to concerts just based off of location and based off maybe, you know, um, disabilities or things like that, or now presently being immunocompromised when COVID is still like still a thing. And so being able to share an experience with others in a way that feels you know, rewarding and beneficial and as close to the real thing as possible. I think it's a really fantastic feature of these virtual events. I hope that brands don't just use this as PR headlines because we just talked about the Bitmoji JLo concert last week, which is great. That it sounded like it was fun. I love JLo, but actually incorporate as a part of their strategy, especially moving into this future where the metaverse is becoming not just a buzzword, but a thing that we're actually going to probably start using and interacting with on a maybe, you know, daily basis. I think it needs to be a part of our strategy and a way to interact with people as opposed to like the cherry on top. It should become the actual cake. And so I think we'll see, you know, intuitive, smart brands start to figure out what are the ways with which we can incorporate ourselves at a more foundational level in terms of events, not just big banner concerts, but in the ways that people use online. So I think we're just going to see brands, again, bringing in... It's This is sort of the wild, wild west now, trying to figure out what goes, what's sticking, what's not working. We're going to talk two years from now, be like, what actually worked from events at the boom in the metaverse to now? And I think that we're going to see brands go all in and try new ways. And maybe some won't quite work out, but I think that they're going to find a lot of success and luck, given that people are already adopting this technology and are so presently online with you know platforms like Fortnite. We've seen this adoption people getting into the NFT community. I think going further in this direction, 
will be beneficial. I think brands recognize that and will continue to go that way. Well, friends, this has been a journey. We talked influencers, we talked gaming, we talked audio, we talked commerce, and we talked events. Amanda, Tommy, any final words uh, for our 100th episode? I think final words, especially, you know, as we enter this new world of things changing every every hour, every day, every week, the value of experimenting and understanding what your brand stands for, really doubling down on that and being open and iterative and experimental and how that comes to life is going to be where we see brands find success. I think for me, the story going forward should be embracing authenticity, embracing the mess through influencers through, I'm going to borrow words from uh, Kate Pierce, a gray employee who is influencer, co-creation, 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 actively working with people and building something as opposed to slapping your name on it. Progress is not perfection. Things are going to be messy and things are going to be muddled, especially as we get into this new environment and try out these new things. But just maintaining authenticity and the work you do in your actual brand identity, it will always serve you well. So I think we should that should be hopefully our North Star. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you both for being here. As always, thank you to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. Thank you for 100 episodes. Thank you for being the best team in the business. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple or Stitcher, Pocket Cast, CastBox, literally anywhere you can get a podcast. Be sure to share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your clients, whomever. And if you or they have any questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, complaints, or just want to congratulate us on 100 episodes, email us at podcast at gray.com. Thank you, listener. We will see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The five things are written and researched by the social and connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.